0: Well, mercy, it's so good, uh, it's just a blessing and an honor to gather with you. This moment right now is my favorite moment of the week, so I love it so much. Um, we are in a sermon series doctrine and we're learning the ten subjects, ten, 10 main topics of Christian faith. Um, and why it matters for our everyday life. Week one, we talked about the triune God, that God is a trinity. Next, then, second week, we talked about the church. Last Sunday, we talked about scripture what is it that it's authoritative and sufficient? And today, we're talking about creation creation, God's act of creating everything we know. Let me take a few minutes to set up today's scope and what we're going to talk about. It's hard not to smile up here. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I was preparing this message, and as I was preparing this message, you just, I was just awed, amazed at everything that this subject, this topic, touches in our everyday life. Consider, for example, someone today who's a college student and they are in a college class where they're learning about, you know, the age of the universe and the age of earth and dinosaurs and fossil records and they are struggling and wrestling through how to uh, put it together with what they believe the scripture teaches and how important it would be for us to Talk about that and uh, wrestle through it and support our brothers and sisters. Or you don't even have to be a college student. You're just maybe wrestling with that question yourself. Like, hey, is creation like literal 24-hour days? Or is it something long? Creation has something to say to that. But think about this. It's not just an intellectual challenge that we have when it comes to the subject of creation, but a cultural one. Oh, boy. If the Trinity... Unlocks and is a roadmap for how to understand the Bible and make sense of scripture. Creation, the doctrine of creation, is a roadmap for navigating today's cultural wars. Sexuality, and gender, and masculinity, and femininity, and abortion, and you get that. And you know what's a roadmap for navigating that? how to be a faithful witness, uncompromised in our proclama- proclamation of Jesus being king and its the doctrine of creation. So as I was preparing and I was preparing and I was preparing, I realized I already had two sermons for one. I was going on third sermon. So let me stop right now and tell you what today we're going to talk about and by God's grace what I hope to talk about in the near future. Francis Schaefer, incredible thinker, a pastor from 50 years ago, wrote a book. It's called Genesis in Space and Time. And he asked a really good question. He said, what does a believer need to take out of Genesis 1 to 11 at a minimum for him or her not to compromise the faith or compromise the storyline of the Bible? The reason why Genesis 1 to 11 is because it's um, like a, a unit of that book. And then Genesis 12 starts with Abraham and Israel and the call of Israel and Jesus coming through Israel. And he asked the question, what at the minimum? Not what is the most we can take out of first 11 chapters, but what is the minimum as a Christian I must take out? And so today I'm using that um, question and only dealing with the first two chapters. And I want to talk to you about the minimum the basic things that we need to take out of the creation story for us to be uncompromised in our understanding of God, His Word, and our purpose in life. But I was trying to squeeze in part two next week, but it wasn't really making sense. So in 2024, after the study of the book of James, We're gonna come back and we're gonna take creation. We're gonna address topics of evolution, sexuality, gender, manhood, womanhood, marriage, and so forth. So we're going to do all of that. I just wanna do justice to everything because it is a long and heavy topic. I wanna let you know something about me. I am highly encouraged. I am so excited. You know, and I want us as a church to have confidence in God's word. When our confidence in God's word is limping, our vitality, our spiritual passion for Christ is hurting. So with that, today I want to talk to you about eight main things, or at least these eight main things that we need to take out from the storyline of creation for us believers. Those eight are behind me on the board or on the screen. God has no beginning. God created all things. God created all things out of nothing. God rules and reigns, and we are accountable to him. Creation is distinct and yet dependent on him. Creation is distinct and yet indwelt by him. Direction... And we have direct creation of Adam and Eve in the image of God. Creation was made very good and creation is made for his glory. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful time. And Lord, as we dive in to the storyline, to those epic scenes of when you were creating the universe, I ask that you would sharpen our wonder you would renew our sense of passion for your glory, and I'll go, Lord. Lord, I pray that this would be all for your name and the blessing of the church. Amen. Let's start with number one. I do not want to read like a lecture, but sometimes it'll sound like it. And sometimes I'm going to yell like a preacher should. So let's start with number one. God has no beginning. God has no beginning. Every book, every novel you ever know begins with beautiful lines. I think that you can do no better than how the storyline of the Bible begins with few, few words. A short sentence, and it goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Please notice we have a beginning of creation we do not have a beginning of god at the very very beginning god already was god is an is an eternal being triune god the god of the father son the holy spirit has existed forever and please understand what that means it doesn't mean that god is living in an extension of time but forever like 3 trillion days, 145 billion days. It's not like that. Time is created right now in verse 1. God exists in another dimension of existence called eternity. He is. And God has no beginning. This is going to be important for a few minutes. We're going to talk about different worldviews, but please notice that. He's an eternal God. Oh, who else can be worthy of all praise? Who else can be worthy of all adoration? Only this God. Point number two. Sometimes I'm gonna fly through these points. Sometimes we're gonna dig in. God created, key word, all things. All things. Physical and spiritual. Things seen and things unseen. Look at the Bible in Revelation 10, 5 through 6. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him, that's Jesus, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and there would be no more delay. In Nehemiah chapter 9. and. The Bible is so consistent in its witness. Remember, this text is written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors saying the same thing. Nehemiah chapter 9 says this, you are the Lord, you alone, you made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, that's all the spiritual beings, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, the host of heaven worships you. Acts 4:24: "Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them." Colossians 1:16 says this, "For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. all things were created through him and for him." Mercy, this is key. This is our worldview. We see everything. Whatever is not God is made by him. See this graph right here is the best I can do for you. There's God and he creates and that square, that square is the universe. And look, you guys are laughing at me, but this is, that's how I think. That's it. That, that's it. This is this box and that's everything that you ever know. He, he's made it. Please recognize, sometimes we think God exists in His own box called heaven. We exist in our box called the universe. God exists in His box called heaven. No. Heaven goes into the box. He, it's made. What about God's box? He has no box. He just is. Forever. He's all of that white space and he's all of this space and he's forever he's infinite he's eternal i mean this is why this is this is about worship he creates heaven not as a thing like he's always exi- like heaven always existed with god and god exists in heaven as if there's something besides god that's eternal no 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 it is made sometimes we think there's another being spiritual being in the universe called the satan and he opposes god and opposes God's people. Hmm. He goes into the box. He's in the box. He's a made creature. Satan, or the Satan, because that's his title, is not an equal of God. He's an equal of the best angel out there. And before he fell, he was a glorious being. Do you see what this is saying? Everything. All things were made by him, spiritual and visible, invisible and invisible. This means that creation and the universe is not only mind-blowing huge, but God has no boundary. (laughs) It also means that creation is layered with the physical and the spiritual. A biblical worldview tells us that there's a realm I do not see. In a week, in two weeks, we're going to talk about angels and demons. But let me just tell you right now, you have nothing to fear. Because the God who is in you is greater than him who is in the world. The God who has, is unbound resides in us mystery of mysteries, and you have nothing to fear. Number three, God created all things out of nothing. This is important. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, and we know that that's Jesus, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible in romans it's implied i have made you i think it's romans 4 actually i have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the god in whom he believed and this is what god does he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist let me tell you why this matters we don't know what this is we have no concept of creating something into existence that doesn't exist. Every time you and I create something, and our wives get an idea for a remodel in our house, we have to go to Home Depot. We have to get tools, and we have to create something. Every time an artist wants to paint a painting, he needs equipment. Every time, even the, uh, how a baby grows in a womb, it develops through the nourishment of, I don't know, nutrition, the womb. We know creation, or we make things always recycling, rearrangement, existing material. But God, God speaks the universe into existence, and He does not use pre-existing materials. It is out of nothing. Nothing existed outside of God until He made it. Except God, a happy, joyful, triune God. Number four, implication time. This means that He rules and reigns and we are accountable to Him. If God, the unbound, infinite being, can speak an expansive, humongous, mind-blowing universe with angels and demons and everything in it into existence, It means that we are by logic accountable to him. Let me ask you this question. Let me read Romans chapter 14. And Paul makes a point out of this, but he says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Sometimes this world thinks, what what is this with Christians and judgment day? What is this with Christians and day of accountability? Like Christians made that up, or that somehow it It's added on to the doctrine. No accountability to your maker is a logical extension of the fact that everything you have is his. The oxygen in your lungs right now is a gift. The heartbeat in your chest is his. The talent and the gift you have, maybe haven't discovered it, but you're gifted, is from him. The time in your life is from him. The people and relationships in your life is from him. And he one day will say, how did you do? Did you steward my creation? Did you steward what I gave you? And no one over here says, God, that's not your business. Oh, our world loves this autonomy. This individualism, I do me and God does him? No. It's given to us. Let me ask you this question. Are you living a life for the glory of God? Or have you gotten neglectful of everything he's given you? Are you lazy? You know, laziness is not doing nothing ever notice how lazy people are always doing something? Ever notice when I'm lazy, I'm doing something? Lazy people love to play a lot of video games or something like that or or take a good nap or something. You're always doing something. You know what I have learned about neglecting God's resources? It's never usually laziness as we think. See, it's simply doing the wrong thing. You know what I have learned? That there are two definitions of failure. Everybody knows the first definition of failure but I think we would be far better served to know the second definition of failure. The first definition of failure is failing to succeed or achieve your goal. The second definition of failure is succeeding at what doesn't matter. Succeeding at what does not eternally matter. My job as a pastor, as a preacher, is not I mean, I want to encourage you, but it's not to help you so much achieve your American dream as to help you surrender your dream to his purpose. Is everything you do, does it have God at the center of it, his will, his glory, his kingdom, be it a business, be it a job, whatever it may be, be it a hobby, does it have the worship of God at its core? For if it's not that, oh, mercy, it is in vain. You are accountable to your maker. He's giving you so much. Let me just stop here and I always wanna encourage you because that's what I would want. Hey, time is now to start. is now, to, God is the God of forgiveness and grace and, he, and His grace gives us power to live a life for Him. We are accountable to God. Accountability to him is baked into the doctrine of creation, for everything is his. Point number five creation is distinct and yet dependent on God. Distinct and is indwelt by God. Creation, when that box we're talking about, right, when God makes it, does not run on its own powers. The Bible presents us a picture where God, the creator, makes it as a declarative act, as a word that he speaks, and then sustains it every moment of our lives. That we'll preach. That's important. Look at Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the radiance of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What does Jesus do? He upholds it. He carries it by, I don't know, he holds our hand. Psalm 104, God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. This is rich, that he may bring forth fruit from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Who does it? God, the sustaining one. This teaches us that for all of our talk in our illusions or delusions of our fierce independence, our fierce autonomy, every moment of our life is sustained by God. He's ever sustaining us. Let me stop right here and show you how radically different this is from three other worldviews. So right now, we're at that point where we got pretty much a good start. God, the preexisting one, out of joy, right? I didn't talk about that, but I will. Creates the universe and everything in it. Implies our accountability and the universe now is distinct from him, but is reliant on him. How is this different? Take the worldview of materialism. Materialism is just that box. There's a worldview out there, it's actually a common one in where we live, that says all there ever will be, all there ever is, is the physical universe. There's nothing more. Now, some will say, well, Eugene, what about the multiverse thing? Hey, that's the same concept. Just make the box just one little layer bigger. Same thing. This life is all you have. This physical, chemical reactions and stars and so forth, that's all there will ever be. You've got nothing to look forward to. You better make the best of life. No, doesn't this make sense? That when someone has this view of just this world, that it creates pressure. To squeeze every bit of pleasure and sweetness out of your life. I mean, you've got 70 years. Let's say 70 years, not counting the first 10, not counting the last 10. You've got 70 years. And that's it. So what does a person do? What does our world do? It tries to squeeze every pleasure and sweetness and joy out of this life. No wonder in this worldview, commitment is a bad idea sticking in a relationship out of love for another when they don't suit me is a bad idea. Come on. (laughs) You've only got 70 years, no accountability after this. I mean, might as well live with someone that makes you happy. No covenant. No commitment in this world. In this worldview, kids are a burden. Of course they are. You guys know what kids do to you? Take away your free time, spend all your money, diapers and so forth. I mean, that's all kids do. And in this world... No wonder we have a plummeting birth rate. In this worldview where there's just nothing and the goal of life is to squeeze everything you've got, the elderly are a burden, ship them away to their retirement homes. In this worldview, we are anxious, always unfulfilled ever growing in our entitlement, ever growing in our selfishness, because this is all we have. Let me ask you this question. Do you know you have an eternal life? That's a perspective. That's a change of perspective. When I have eternal life, it's okay when not not everything in my life goes my way. When I have eternal life and I know there's a God beyond this universe to whom I'm going to one day be reunited, it means I can love sacrificially. It means I can serve without expectation of payback. It means I can love like God has commanded me to love. Because heaven is more than compensation for the cost of obedience here. Heaven is more than compensating for any cost of obedience. Mercy Church, this is an anxious toil, this worldview. Think about how, many, how much discouragement all of us have carried in our life. Not everybody's relationship is a great one. Not everybody is healthy. People do get cancers. Christians get cancers, young Christians get cancers. You don't always get the job you want. You don't always have life. You're not going to travel the world, most likely. Maybe some of you will. but Maybe some of you most likely won't. And this worldview, materialistic worldview that says, this is just it. This is it. This is it. Has us running around anxious. Malcontent. And focused on ourselves. But that's not the worldview of Scripture. There's a second worldview that we need to talk about, and it's the worldview of pantheism. Pantheism takes God and puts him in a box. (laughs) You know this. If you've ever been on Instagram on Reels or something, you know this. You've heard about you being a divine spark. No? Okay, never mind. This view teaches that creation is God, and every part of creation is either a part of God or somehow God. And it collapses God into our world. It makes us divine, makes everything else divine, all perspectives go. This is a worldview that we encounter all the time. But this worldview makes God have no distinct personality. Because God is ever evolving as the universe changes. And this worldview makes god to be one with evil for as there is good and evil divine captures all of it what a sad reality to live in there's never be a triumph over evil evil is a thing of the life of life the last perspective is the dualism perspective and dualism teaches that there's god and then there is the universe. There's spiritual and then there's physical. And both exist in eternity. Parallel to one another. This view weakens God. For God is no longer a Lord. He's no longer ruling and reigning over creation. Creation is actually his co-equal but not only does it weaken God it elevates evil because we do not know who's going to win the material world or the spiritual world but we're going to go back to our box the Christian worldview teaches that a triune God speaks the universe into existence and sustains it, and he dwells in it. He's not removed from it, but he indwells it. Are we okay? Okay, we're gonna keep going, you guys. Good thing I left out evolution. (laughs) Number six, direction, direct creation of Adam and Eve in the image of God. Whatever your view is on the age of the earth, whatever your view is on how long these days are, one thing we must admit and acknowledge that God has a direct role to play in creating Adam and Eve to be the parents of the entire human race and that they are made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, After our likeness. In Genesis 2.7 Then the Lord, God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. If you remember how other animals were made, at some point God said let earth produce them and then he would go and make them. Here the creation of humanity involves God in a An interesting, different layer of work. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Notice two parts to this. He makes fashions a body, the physical body, and he breathes his soul, or not his, but breathes a soul into him. And a man becomes a living creature. What is the image of God? And what has happened after sin? This is an important doctrine for us. The image of God can be broken down into three aspects. This is what Christian theologians have taught for so long. One is we could think of being an image of God as being like God and resembling God and reflecting God in our universe in a relational way. What makes you an image of God? The crowning achievement of God's creation. It's this. That you are a relational being. You have the ability to relate to God and to others. Animals worship God, but not quite directly. You never see a dog raising his hands. But the beauty of a dog (laughs) worships God. And we have the ability to create complex relationships with one another. Sacrificial ones. The one another's that we talked to weeks ago. You don't see that in the animal kingdom. That's being in the image of God because that's the triune God. There are God, the the Father, the Son, the Spirit are for one another. The second aspect of the image of God we could think of is the functional aspect. We create order out of chaos. That's exactly what God does in Genesis chapter 1. God is a creating being. And he creates order out of chaos. And by the way, Genesis chapter 1 is a parallel. It's not just scattered like that. Day 1, 2, and 3 create environments. Day 4, 5, 6 populate these environments with things. In day 1, God separates night and day. And in day 4, he throws in the sun, the moon, and the stars. In day 2, God separates air from water. In day 5, he sends birds and living uh, water animals. (laughs) In day three, God uh, separates land from the ground, from water, and in day six, he populates it with animals and man. You see, God is a creating being, ever creating order out of chaos. When you have dominion and rule in your relationships, when you have order in your relationships, order in your business, order in your finances, order, 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 you're being like the image of God. Or it is also conceived as substantive, like stuff you're made out of, okay? So human beings, unlike animals, are moral agents. It's perfectly fine if you're at al and you see a seagull fight another seagull for a donut. That's totally fine. If after service you grab the last donut and I come to fight you, all of a sudden we're like, we have a problem. It's perfectly fine when you're watching planet Earth and an animal like a lion takes down a zebra. Nobody sits there and says there's this sinner, transgressor. We think, okay, that's a consequence of a fallen world, but that lion isn't sinning. No, we are moral agents, we do sin. Not only are we moral agents, but we have mental abilities to plan for the future and the past. We have a spirit, soul, division in us. We're not just body, we are soul. Now here's a question for you. What has happened to this image of God in every human being after the fall? Here's a quick answer. The image of God Us humanity or humans bearing the image of God is compromised but not lost. For example, in James chapter 3 verse 9, James talks about the importance of our words. And the reason he says we got to watch out how we speak to one another, we flatter, gossip, demean, And the reason is when we use our language to bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It's not perfect. So often we do not resemble God. We are not perfect image bearers. Every time we commit violence, every time we objectify, every time we steal, every time we lie, that is not like God. But it is not lost which guarantees the equality and dignity of every human being. Every human being. Racism has no place in a Christian's heart. For every human being is made in the image of God. Black or white or any other color. A child with a Down syndrome is an image of God. A little, I don't know, group of cells that now have the coding for a human and becomes a human in a womb of a mom is an image of God. Somebody who has a different lifestyle from you, imperfectly, is still an image of God. Someone who has a political view unlike yours is an image of God. Someone who is unproductive in the economy. Usually the elderly, oh, they're glorious images of God. Our enemies are images of God. This is a wild, revolutionary truth. Every human being is an image of God. It is compromised, but the status of it is not lost. And in Christ, ready, it is restored. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 49 says, just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In a new age, in a world of glory, every human being, man and woman, will once again reflect God with a restored image of God fully. That is a key truth of creation. Number seven. Creation was made very good. Remember, Satan didn't create anything. And sin doesn't corrupt all things. There's still the common grace of God that preserves things. And when God made it originally, it was very good. Look at Genesis 131. And God saw... Everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Creation of God is very good. Some of you are like, I know it is. (laughs) I absolutely know it is. The reason this is important is because we could have, um, and some of us maybe even fall into this, um, an unhealthy relationship with things, or hobbies, or Sabbath rest, And we could deny pleasures that God has given us as gifts. This has happened in Timothy when Paul writes this. He says, and he's talking about a group of people who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods, okay, because stuff is evil. No. Gifts of God, very good. To be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. See, the gifts of God that He has made are meant to be received with thanksgiving. In uh, two verses later, excuse me, the next verse, He says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. We're, of course, not speaking here of sin, think about God's gifts. And notice what we are meant to do, receive it with thanksgiving. And then it says, it is made holy by the word of God. I think that means, uh, I read this from a commentary, Genesis 131, God consecrates his creation as very good. And so here, it is made good, but notice, with thanksgiving and prayer, thanksgiving in prayer. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be praising God for everything he's given us. I like to put it this way. We must enjoy everything in God and God in everything. Everything in God means according to his will. And God in everything means I am praising him. I am thanking him always with worship and prayer. And we'll be wrapping up if we could get the keys up here. Point number eight. Creation was made for His glory, the heaven. Okay, so all of creation is. What, what does that mean? Because the stars don't sing, you know, necessarily talk to God. It means they display His power, His wisdom, and other attributes. But predominantly, His power and His wisdom. The heavens declare. Okay, it's meant to magnify God. It's meant to show what God can do. It's about God. Creation is not about us. We are not at the center of the universe. It's his glory that is is at the center. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive, oh, come on, (laughs) out of all those worldviews, this this is it, this is the one, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by by your will they existed and were created. Human anatomy praises God. Astronomy praises God. Everything in creation says, this is awesome. (laughs) Look at how wise God is. Look at how strong. I mean, think about this. I think about, I I just wrote out a list. The size of the universe, how big it is, tells us about the vastness of God. The power of a black hole. I don't know if you know anything about it. Man, that shows you the power of things. The gentle snowfall Blanketing our cities, our streets, our cars declares the glory of God. The solar eclipse glorifies God. The colors of fall, I know not everybody's into this, but they are just gorgeous. They glorify God. The smell of a flower, hot chocolate by a fire, a buzzing, productive beehive, if you've ever been around one, praises God. God. A sunrise and sunset praises God. My favorite one, babies' giggles praise God. All of creation praises God. The arrow of creation points back at him. And the question for us here today is which way is your arrow pointing? Are you joining the chorus of angels, stars, animals, creation, and pouring out praise back at your creator? Or is your arrow standing for your commitment, your devotion, your attention, pointed at something within that square? <laughs> I was you know, preparing this message. I was wrecked by this. Here is a God I get to worship, but I'm going to take my worship and worship money. Money a Seahawks Seahawks team, a business, a vacation. All of those things are great and meant to be used in a good way, but they're never meant to be worshipped. And our arrow is, I mean, how sad, right? I'm talking about myself. How absolutely sad when our worship doesn't flow back to the Creator, but flows to something within this box called, in fact, Paul in the book of Romans says that this right here, when our arrow doesn't point at God, is the sin behind every other sin. Let me read you in Romans chapter one. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, in their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore God gave them up, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. We have the arrow here pointing in the wrong direction. Paul says, You got all this immorality in culture, that's not the problem. You've got a worship problem. Every time Eugene refuses to Honor God, worship God. Eugene has downflow consequences. Today I want to ask you, will your arrow, your devotion, your commitment point back to God? I want to end with the question of real worship. The question of real worship is not, is God important? There's a better question. Is God most important the question today is not is god a priority but is god my highest priority today the question is not is god my joy but is god my ultimate joy the question today is not do you serve god but do you serve god with no reservations let me tell you something let me tell you what the devil does He knows he'll never get you to go from a place where God is important to God is not important. Have you ever met a Christian who says God is not important? No. It's far more subtle. He wants us to go from a place where God is most important to where God is just important. Where God is the priority and center of my life for everything I do, absolutely everything I do, to where God is just one of many priorities. Have you ever met a Christian who's not about into serving God? I've never been a Christian, not into serving God. But I have often served God with reservation. Worship. Worship is not when God is just important or a priority. It's when God is everything. And mercy doesn't creation show us that. Doesn't it make things look pretty, pretty bleak and weak when we worship stuff inside of our box? And I'm going to end because I've been going forever. And yet, there is a promise in Genesis that I want to end with for us. God creates this beautiful creation and we ruin it, we rebel. We start pointing our arrow of worship, adoration, commitment to other things, not God. We don't love him above all things. And yet God, in all of his grace, does not leave us to be. But in Genesis chapter 3, right as he is talking to Adam and Eve about their rebellion, promises a deliverer. And I'm going to end with this. In Genesis chapter 3. We read it written, the Lord speaking to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. In all the days of your life, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking about Eve, and between your offspring, Satan's enemies, I mean Satan's army, and her offspring. And here's what Jesus will do. There will come from you someone who will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is an image of the cross. A God who is for us, committed to us. When we are rebellious, when our arrows pointed elsewhere, he is committed to our forgiveness. He's wooing us. He loves us. And today I want to call us in our song to worship God and right now to our repentance, knowing that he is the God of all grace. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for what your creation teaches us about you, how marvelous you are, how glorious in wisdom and power you are. God, help us see that. God, help us join angels, join creation and worship you and sing to you, and live a life of commitment, and alignment with your will. And God, you know how often we fall short. You know how often I fall short. This Sunday morning, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for our sins? Would you help us, empower us, come with your spirit? and help us live a life of glorifying and worshiping you. In your name I pray, amen.